We last left the story, as you recall, when Jesus put Adam and Eve out of the garden, having made clothes for them. After they had fallen from their precious, sweet fellowship with the Lord God in the garden into a life of willfulness that would be received the consequences that they could not even have imagined. In that story, we, we run into the story of Cain and Abel, and a fascinating story it is, where the first children on earth are no better than their parents, especially the one who falls into sin out of jealousy and strife and takes the life of his brother. Never understanding how that kind of action could take him forever in a wandering kind of way to suffer the consequences of his sin. Taking us in the story to those verses that almost paralyze us, Lord. Those verses that we read at this point in time in our journey with great sadness as we are taken into the mind and the heart of God and we hear the story where the scriptures tell us then the Lord saw that the wickedness of humankind was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth. He was grieved in his heart. Then the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land. From man to animals to creeping things and to birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. But, thank God for the but. Don't get ahead of me. <laughs> but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Wow. What a powerful verse for us this day. What if Noah had not found favor in the eyes of the Lord? We might have all turned out to be giraffes. But Noah did find favor in the eyes of the Lord. But even the sons of Noah would revert back to that willfulness that lives at the heart and the center of every human being that has ever been created. When they revolt against that womb, they were created to adore and begin to adore themselves. Sometimes I think we'd be better off in a world without mirrors. We spend so much time looking at ourselves and feeling good about ourselves, or we feel so much time looking at mirrors and feeling bad about ourselves. And so often we do not use mirrors for their intended purpose, which is to reflect back to us that which is beautiful in God's sight and that which we should see. Not just the outward, but a mirror is also leads us to the inward, to the ability to gaze at ourselves in new ways, to understand ourselves in new ways. Because eventually, Noah had to wash away humankind except for Noah, having saved him on an ark. And after that, the story doesn't get much better. 
Oh, for a little while it's better and then it's not. And then they're building a tower so they could reach up to God in the heavens and be like God. And, you know, in our wisdom, all these many years since, we shake our heads and go, those poor humans weren't much. I'm so glad I'm not like them. And then we pass a mirror. <laughs> and we see inside ourselves. Mm. We see our desires to elevate ourselves, to elevate our lives, to make ourselves sufficient from the need of God that we might have all that we would ever need. Much like the man in the story who built more barns to hold his things that Jesus talked about in one of his parables. But then, even though generation after generation fouls it up, God shows up again. He shows up as a voice. The voice came from the Lord to Abram. Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. I'm going to make you a great nation. You're going to be something. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. You'll be greater than Muhammad Ali, who was the greatest in his own eyes. You'll be greater than Mariano, who saved every ball game almost. He went into pitch. You'll be greater than the greatest president of the greatest nation. Your name will be great and you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. And those who curse you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the world, the whole earth, will be blessed. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. Some of the most incredible words in the scriptures. And Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old. Lord, couldn't you have called a younger guy? Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions which they had accumulated, and the persons which they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. So in the reading of the Lord's word, may it be a blessing to us all as we recall this simple little story that is one huge shock for us all. You say, shock? I've known that story. That's not that shocking. Really? How many people do you know who are listening so intently to God's words, listening not only with the ears but with their heart, that when God calls them to something entirely different, entirely at risk, that the first thing they do is obey? I remember my early calls. You remember your early calls from God? Unfortunately, I also remember my early responses. 
No, I don't really want to be a Christian. No, I'm not going down there with all those other Baptist kids and get wet. I'm not, no, not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. And then one day I did, finally. And then I heard the call, you're going to be a pastor. And I thought, no, I'm not. <laughs> I went to bed. I thought it over carefully. I dreamed about it. And all I saw was preachers traveling around Texas. No, I'm not. After all, I'm just a boy. I'm calling you to be a preacher. No, no, I don't really think that's what you're saying, Lord. I think you're really calling me to be a good boy, and I will be a good boy. No, no, I'm calling you to be a preacher. No, I don't really think that's you, God. It's just my sense of own self-guilt. I know I'm not really meant to be a preacher. They do strange, weird things, and people look at them strange, and I'm not strange. And God said, oh, yes, you are. And I said, good night, God. I'll see you later. Each Sunday I'll show up because my parents will make me. And the years went by, and the years went by. I met a girl. name was Sarah or Sally or something like that. And we got married, and, you know, life rolled along, and she used to be a really good Christian girl, and she got me to working with the youth group, and I thought that was, well, okay, whatever. As long as we can get golf in between worship on the morning and youth on the afternoon, we can do that. And I taught her to play golf, and pretty soon I taught her not to be quite so diligent about her faith, you know, pressure of being married and all. We don't have to go to church all the time. I know that's your family's practice, but mine will Sunday morning. It'll be good enough. And then a friend of mine went off to Lubbock. You know, the best thing that can happen to an Aggie if he's not going to move to Austin is to go to Lubbock. So he went to Lubbock, and he found a little bitty Methodist church with one of my good Methodist friends, and he found real Christian faith. God had called him out there to be a lawyer. How can you be called to be a lawyer and be called to be a good Christian? I don't understand it. But we've got a few people in the congregation and scattered around who managed to pull it off. It's very hard. But they get the dual call to be a lawyer and a Christian. And then he came home. And then he started messing in my life. One of the guys I admired. And for long, I was singing in the choir. I never wanted to sing anywhere publicly, much less in a choir. But he was singing in the choir. And he said, come on, you're going to choir. And I said, okay. Jody says, I'm going to choir. I'm going to choir. So I went to choir and drove the choir director crazy. I wanted to make jokes. She wanted me to sing. I didn't think the two would go together well. But we sang in the choir. They went to Bible studies, little charismatic Bible studies where people did weird things. Charismatic Bible study, you know, they prayed on and on and on. My goodness, they prayed long. And they were a lot of them praying in ways that I'd never heard before. And I still didn't understand what they were saying. But, hey, that's where it was at. So I was going to... Charismatic Bible study. You know, it's a funny thing about studying the Bible. Even if it's been taught not the best Wesleyan way, you can learn a lot, especially when you don't know hardly anything, even though you've been raised in the church. Doug, it's me again. Hi, Lord. I'm calling you. Now, Lord, we've already settled that. No, we really haven't. Month after month after month, more and more and more miserable. 
Till one day I thought, okay, I'm tired of it. I'll be a preacher. So I told Sally, she said, nah, you need to go back and pray some more. You know, it's <laughs> not so much. We're really not cut out for that. And God kept pouring it on and pouring it on and pouring it on. And I kept saying, no, there's so many reasons not to be a Methodist preacher. And then one day God did a strange thing. He just spoke to me. Now, what an audible voice, but boy, was it loud. I was in a Rotary Club meeting. You're not, you're not supposed to find God in a Rotary Club meeting. And God said, I am indeed calling you to be a preacher. You can do what that person is doing. His name was Jack Gray, and he was a pastor evangelist who was speaking to a Rotary Club of all things. That could happen in Farmersville, Texas. And I said, yeah, God, I know I could, but I don't really want to. And God says, yeah, but I want you to. I want you to. And I was exhausted for a year and a half of saying no, so I finally said, okay. Abram hears one word, jumps up, and runs across the world to follow God. Me, I take half a lifetime. I'm a slow learner. I've got feet dug in. I have my comfortable religion. I have my comfortable faith. I know what I believe. Don't disturb me. I don't want to be a Methodist preacher. You know what happens to their kids? You know, they get drug everywhere. And I told Sally, we don't need this house we just moved into 28 days ago. She said, take two aspirin. You'll get better. Three weeks later, as I remember the story, and I know she has a different story, but I'm the one getting called here. First, she, she, I had to tell her, you're getting called too. If I'm called, you're called. There's no getting out of this deal. I'm not doing this alone. Abram got a word from the Lord, and he was listening enough to just do it. If that doesn't amaze you in the story, you're either really along the way, you're lying to yourself, or you are a person I need more often in the office helping me, you know? Because most Christians are still pretty dug in. Some of them are dug in every time we pass the offering plate. God says, give me mine, and they say, nope. Some people are dug in when God calls them to change the way they're behaving they say nope my personality is this way and I'm going to stay this way that's what red-headed John Shaw told me I'm just a red-headed hot-tempered old man I said yeah but God is not satisfied with that God can heal that temper sometimes people are sitting in Sunday and it makes it sound like God's calling them and they're saying well I'm 85 I can't be called by God but they got up and left That's the kind of story that we need to remember. And that's the kind of story that should cause us to listen intently. Pack up your stuff and take off. And so they did. Now, he left the good life behind to pursue a better life. Not because he thought he was going to get it, but because God was going to do something with him. 
And I'm convinced that in the day in which we live, that God is ready to raise up some new people to do something in this nation. Because I don't want to be alive in heaven, standing before Jesus, and he said, look at the mess you left behind, you and all your generation. And I'm going, why? And he said, you're acting just like Europe. You had it going so well, you were doing so much, and now all you want is you want religion to be like everything else. You want it to be for you. I gave you my son so that you might be a blessing to others. I poured out my grace upon you so that you might be a life of grace to someone else, not just your wife, not just your kids, but to the world. Don't leave that nation in the mess you found it. Lord, it wasn't my fault. It was those Republicans that caused it. See, that didn't get a big laugh here. Let's try it again. It's those Democrats that caused it, Lord. See how much better that is? And you're all wrong. It's those Christians that caused it. We set on our blessings, and we mashed the blessing out of our life. We have been called to incredible things that appear ordinary, and often we still ignore them. Because we love being like everybody else. We love having the house on the corner. You know what a house on the corner is really good for? Some of you saying, does he know I live on the corner? No, I don't know it. But the parentheses, the house on the corner, all it does for you is give you more grass to mow. And that's not really a great deal. But we love the house on the corner. There's a bigger yard, more room for bigger garage. We got more cars. We got. No, you're the only one I see that walks with me. God forbid that should ever be the case again. How about us? Have you heard God's calling? Are you willing to leave your past behind, including your comforts, and take a risk to walk into the deep water? I'm about to make an appointment with a bishop. Every pastor knows that's a mistake. But I'm making an appointment with a bishop. Why? Because I am ready to get out in some deep water. And I want to be sure that when I get out in the deep water, the bishop doesn't come to rescue me. I want him to leave me alone. I want him to leave this church alone. I want him to be willing to get out into the deep water of Methodism and take a gamble that this congregation needs to do some things differently in order to live out our faith. I want him to take the gamble that perhaps God has called us together us meaning me and each of you who are still here in these days to get out into the deep water, to leave the comfortable past behind and move out into the water without fear, to reclaim this land and bless it in God's name. We'll never do that until we listen for God's voice. We'll never do that until we move by faith as God is calling us forward. We're here today 
with a table of remembrance that is our constant visual picture of a bleeding, dying, resurrected Savior who saves us from ourselves and readies us to hear the call of God. Now, five more minutes and I'm done. What does that mean to being a Christian? The world is filled in this world with people who have never heard a call from God. They're still listening for an audible voice. They're still listening for a call that makes them comfortable or fits their lifestyle or one they think they can do or one they want to do. They don't name the name of Jesus. They don't call themselves Christians. They don't go where Christians go, and they basically think most Christians are half nuts and half deluded. And by the way, most of them live right next door to y'all. Because y'all, being the faith-believing, Bible-reading Christians, are a declining minority in this world, even though most of you believe most of your neighbors are saved, and they're not. No survey will tell you that they are. People need Christians who are hearing God's call, who are not Christians. People who are not Christians need to have a Christian share as a witness how God called them to something basic in their life. Now, I'm not talking you tell them the deepest, most crazy thing God ever called you to do. You don't start out there. You start off with the first way God called you to accept him in faith and how even though you were partially unbelieving, he brought you to a place of real deep belief. You start where they can understand. You share with them you had doubts too. That's called a witness. And any Christian ought to be able to give it. Because God is calling us to share that witness with an unbelieving world. God is calling us to get out into the deeper waters, open our little mouths, and do not talk about the Texas Rangers or the Dallas Cowboys or how well our grass is growing or how much I love my new car, but rather telling them about Jesus. Not in an offensive way, in a loving, graceful, caring way. In other words, like Jesus told the unbelieving world. It's deep water. But God is calling his church to not let the decline of faith in America continue. And we are part of that church. We should be the tip of the spear leading the church in this part of the world. We have almost everything it takes to walk out into that deep water. You say, now, what, what do you mean almost? Knowing that God has called the church is just not enough. You have to hear your own call.
then you have to be willing to listen to what God is telling you to do. The first exciting thing I really heard in this congregation other than the worship music was when I really felt like God was calling Bonnie to be the, my assistant. She came to interview for the nursery job. But I didn't think that's where God was calling her. Bonnie says, I wasn't supposed to be part of the sermon today, Dave. That's why I never share my notes with church staff before worship. And I don't have that many notes anyway. She just became part of the sermon because I thought it sounded good. Oh, that's right. I got excited, didn't I? It's after she said no, and after we began looking at other people for that position, and I was in despair because I never heard the, the right voice saying, it's me. Bonnie called me up one day and said, you know what? I said, what? She said, is that job still open? Yeah. She said, I think we might have made a mistake. I think God might be calling us for me to take that job, even though it's less money than what I'm making. And I went, wow. I said, okay, it's yours. No time to change your mind, it's yours. We'll work out the pay later. Magically, that got to be bigger than what she was making. Funny how the Lord works that way. We looked for a youth director until I got tired of looking for a youth pastor. We looked at so many people. They had so many good-looking faces, but it never worked. If it worked for some of us, it didn't work for the rest of it. I thought, Lord, how long are we going to struggle? And then I met Nick. And I had lunch with Nick at one of those healthy places. You know the young adults like to eat. Sandwich places, salads, all that kind of stuff. So we went there, and we had lunch. And by the time we left, and he shared with me how he had been struggling to find the right place, I smiled, and I said, Lord, he's found it. Now it's up to you to convince him of it in the next week. And while we were looking for youth guys, I met a guy, another guy. I met a guy named Brandon. He really wasn't the answer for our youth job, but we kind of talked about it on the side. I didn't let the rest of the committee even interview him. I thought, nah, we're not going to do that. He doesn't have, have all of our dots checked. But he never left my mind. And then he started coming to church some here. And, you know, the more he came to church here, the more I looked at his wife, and she seemed really sweet compared to him. And <laughs> the more I thought about it, the more I listened God said, that young man's being called to ministry. And he's not quite sure how yet or where yet. But you're right. He's called to your church. I said, Lord, I don't have any budget. And I don't have a job title. And I don't know. And God said, yeah, but what you thought was true is true. So we made up a job description. You know? Every church ought to have a utility pastor of some kind. You know, we'll put a better name on it for the public. But for us, you'll just always be a utility pastor, Brandon. Ready to do whatever you need. You know how a Swiss pocket knife is like? It's got a blade for everything. That's what Brandon's going to be for a while. For a while, until the call is clarified in his life. God is putting the pieces together 
to get into the deep water. Jesus knew what deep water looked like. Deep water looked like praying on the mountaintops, listening to God and selecting 12 scraggly men who weren't that bright, weren't that smart, certainly weren't that educated, and making them his first disciples. That's what he did. And then he called them to follow him. He knew what that call sounded like. He knew it meant a cross in the end. And he was willing to choose what God told him to do. Even death on a cross. And now he's willing to show up here for us. And to give us whatever grace we need in order that we might find the courage we need to be the people of God for this day and for this generation of the people that we live among. I pray as you come to the table, you will find the grace to hear God's call to you for how you shall respond to that call.